from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Day. I want to remind you, it is primary day if you live in Idaho, Kentucky, North Carolina, Oregon, or Pennsylvania. Make sure you get to the polling place if you need voter resources. Uh, a voting guide to help you understand the candidates on your ballot, go to frcaction.org. Click on voter resources. Again, that's frcaction.org. Click on voter resources there for the best voter guide in America. Today on the program, the city of Haven, Kansas, voted to remove the words in God we trust from their police cars. But yesterday, they changed their minds. We'll tell you what happened also, because today is primary, primary day in five states, millions of Americans will be voting. And we're going to tell you a bit more about the voter guide that I just discussed with you from the creator of it. Stay tuned for that conversation and why it can help you vote and help us collectively change the country. Also, many states have banned therapy that can help people deal with unwanted same-sex attraction. Many states have made that kind of therapy illegal for minors. Well, today, a Washington state therapist was in court arguing that it's unconstitutional for the state to prohibit him from having private conversations with his clients. We'll tell you about that case coming up later in the program. But our headline today, our top story, the Ukraine army removed soldiers defending the last section of Mariupol effectively ceding control of the city to Russia after a fierce and brutal months-long resistance. This follows news that Congress has approved an additional $40 billion in aid to Ukraine. And that is $7 billion more than the Biden administration requested, though it did face some opposition in Congress. And joining me now to discuss this and more is Representative Jody Heiss. He serves on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, the House Committee on Natural Resources, and represents Georgia's 10th District. Congressman Heiss, welcome back to the program. Always great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, we are glad to have you. The Ukrainian army has waged fierce resistance against Russia. So the recent news about the withdrawal from Mariupol uh, could be disappointing. What's your reaction to this development? Yeah, it's disappointing. But listen, this uh, is far from being over. I fully anticipate there'll be a reversal when all is said and done. And uh, you look, the Russian army is being pounded from this. This is a battle, a war that has been much more severe than they ever anticipated. Uh, Putin has exposed his evil intents to the entire world. He has lost a massive amount. About a third of his uh, military forces have been lost in this. Uh, and so this thing is not over. Uh, this is just one step. And, you know, I again, hats off to the brave people and leadership of those in Ukraine. They have uh, just been amazing and really inspiring to watch them defend their country. Congressman Heist, do you see this perhaps as an example of one step back before there are two steps forward? Yeah, I mean, certainly I'm, I'm hopeful that that's what this is going to uh, indicate, That, uh, and that's what I mean by saying this is far from over. I, I think this is, uh, uh, you know, the, the, they have pounded that city, and uh, there's very, uh, there's been massive deaths there. Uh, I don't know how the Ukrainians can stand up at this point, but I believe they will come back. Uh, I believe, again, the Russian forces have been severely uh, handed significant blows, both to their equipment as well as their personnel. And so I think when all is said and done, uh, Ukraine is going to come out on top of this. Other developments out of Ukraine and really out of the United States with respect to Ukraine, uh, Congress has approved, it looks like, $40 billion in additional aid to Ukraine. Of course, everyone is hopeful that Ukraine is going to win. But there are concerns in Congress about the oversight of these funds as well as whether we can actually afford this. Do you think this package is the right thing to do at this time? No, I don't, uh, and for multiple reasons, not the least of which is the process by which this bill came to us as members of Congress. Uh, probably we had fewer than 
two hours, certainly just a couple of hours, a couple of two or three hours uh, before we were voting on it. Here's $40 billion, no pay-fors. Uh, we didn't even have time to read the bill, didn't know what was in the bill, didn't know where the money was going to be spent, had no accountability for the funds, and yet we're voting on it. And unfortunately, this is yet again one of Nancy Pelosi's uh, philosophies that unfortunately for many Republicans is becoming standard operating procedure, and that is let's vote on it and then find out what's in it. That is unacceptable to me, uh, and it's uh, $40 billion when we are facing our own debt of some $31 trillion. We simply don't have money to throw around. In addition to that, the entire military budget for the Ukraine is somewhere just around $6 billion of, of U.S. money. And here with this uh, most recent um, legislation, we have now given $53 billion to the Ukraine, and very little of it do we know where it's going. So I think we've got to pull back. We all absolutely underscored, highlighted, want to help Ukraine. We just need to do so in a responsible way that indeed is enabling equipment and, and money to go where it's needed and not for money to end up going to liberal, radical, uh, left-wing uh, wish lists. And that's the type of thing that we're dealing with here. And Congressman Jody Heiss, I know we have to let you go shortly here to go vote. One other issue I would like to tackle with you quickly. Recent reports have revealed the Center for Disease Control was tracking the location data of millions of America during the height of the COVID pandemic. You sent a letter recently looking for answers. What are you hoping to find out with that? Yeah, listen, this is one of the most frightening things that has happened in, in a long time. During the pandemic, it appears as though the CDC was actually tracking millions and millions of Americans. They spent over $400,000 taxpayer dollars to purchase tracking data uh, applications, and they ended up following tracking every move of millions and millions of Americans. It seems as though particularly those who were uh, going to churches, to their various houses of worship, the CDC was watching every move you made. Big government is watching you is the message of this. And we have written a letter demanding some answers. Number one, who gave the CDC this type of authority to think that they have the ability to break the Fourth Amendment privacy that Americans are guaranteed and to track them without any warrant to do so, without any crimes being committed, and yet them tracking Americans? What were they intending to do uh, if some American was found to be doing something that the CDC did not approve of. Uh, what was the punishment going to be? Where is that information now? Are they still using the information? Do other agencies have the information? There are a host of questions that we're demanding answers for, and this is absolutely unacceptable, and we've got to get to the bottom of it. Congressman Nice, we agree with you. We hope you get those, that information. And the moment that you do, we hope you'll come back on here at Washington Watch and tell us what you learn. But we will let you go, do your official responsibilities. But thank you so much for your time today. Always an honor to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Next, the city of Buffalo, New York, was the target of absolute evil over the weekend. Our prayers continue to be with the people of the city of Buffalo. But today, President Biden spoke in Buffalo in response to last weekend's attacks, which, in which 10 people were killed and three others were injured. Here's what he had to say. What happened here is simple and straightforward. Terrorism. Terrorism. Domestic terrorism. Joining me now to discuss the president's visit is Virginia Cruda of The Daily Wire. Virginia, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, uh, thanks for having me on. We are glad to have you. Now, obviously, everyone is horrified by what happened there. It's appropriate that the president was there uh, expressing the uh, sadness and uh, unity of the American people. Was there anything about this visit that was a surprise to you? Not really a surprise. Um, actually, what, what was interesting to me was that he tried so very quickly in his remarks to tie this to Charlottesville. Um, the, the talking points have clearly been issued. And so, in, you know, I, I realize he's there to display empathy. He's there to talk to 
the victims and their families and to to show support to say, you know, America is behind you. And obviously that's true. We're all praying for the families of, of those who were killed. But he immediately made this about the replacement theory um, and, and this idea that um, obviously it was it was in the alleged shooter's manifesto where he was talking about being replaced over time by minority populations. And it's it seems like it's the next thing that Biden and the Democrats are grabbing onto to make the next political point. So instead of making this all about the victims, he turned it into kind of a this is how we move to the next step and and take this to our next political victory. And that's kind of what it felt like to me. Not again, not necessarily a surprise, but that felt like where he was going. Virginia, when you when you say it feels like he's looking to take this to the next step, what do you perceive that next step to be? Well, if you look at what um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer did while Biden was in Buffalo, um, Schumer stood on the Senate floor today and talked about how replacement theory was horrible and the people promoting it needed to be condemned. And the people promoting it, he named Fox, uh, Fox News host Tucker Carlson, who he said has mentioned replacement theory 400 times since 2016. And he then sent a letter to Fox News today uh, fo- following that with with a letter to Fox News condemning the network for not stopping Tucker Carlson from saying this. And he's suggesting that they need to stop it right now. I don't know if you saw this, but the next thing Tucker did was invite Schumer onto his show to debate him, which Schumer announced on Twitter and then said, I'm not going to do it, but Tucker needs to stop saying these things. Virginia, I'm a fairly informed person when it comes to a lot of these issues, and I don't think I'd heard the term replacement theory until a handful of days ago, and now it seems to be like this thing that the left is obsessed with. Is this the left's version of critical race theory, where they're trying to make this uh, a, a political wedge issue? Where did this come from? Well, you know, that's a very interesting comparison, and I've heard Tucker talk about it before, where the idea is that um, it, in, if you wanted to nutshell it, Democrats prefer open borders because open borders allow more illegal immigrants into the country, and that dilutes the political power of anyone who would oppose Democrats because they assume that they're importing voters who would be friendly to their policies. So it, that's what the idea of replacement theory is, and that's how Tucker's explained it. So yeah, it. It's, it's not really complicated, and if you think about it in those general terms, you can see it happening. If you have open borders and the people coming across the borders are going to support Democrats, it's, it's not a difficult step to make. But then they put this kind of boogeyman term on it and use it to say, okay, and anybody who believes this is bad. Well, Virginia, I think the left may be confused about this because I think the people coming across the border are exceedingly unlikely to believe that boys can become girls. And so I don't think they can count (laughs) on their political allegiance in the way they believe they can. That seems to be a uniquely white problem in America, but that remains to be seen. We are out of time. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. When we come back, the citizens of Haven, Kansas, have rallied to keep In God We Trust on their police vehicles. We'll tell you about it when we come back. Join Family Research Council on an exciting two-year journey through the Bible. FRC's Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan helps you to dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into the cultural issues of the day. God has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. By studying the Bible, we can see God's plan unfold throughout the past and be encouraged by how the truth of Scripture is still relevant in our current day and will be into the future. The Stand on the Word reading plan engagingly and thoughtfully takes you through the daily scripture to help you stay grounded in God's truth. You can start this reading plan with Family Research Council today. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your family and friends. Visit frc.org Bible to begin this journey through the Bible today. 
Although most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, studies show that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. That is why Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview was created. The center serves to help Christians understand the importance of Scripture, why it must be authoritative, and how it can equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC Center for Biblical Worldview provide resources to help prepare believers to give a scriptural answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access these free resources at frc.org slash worldview. See the center's latest blogs, op-eds, and publications by signing up for the newsletter at frc.org slash worldview email. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Again, search Stand Firm and download the app today. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm. So glad that you are with us. Quick reminder that you can find this in every episode of Washington Watch at TonyPerkins.com. Now, previously on the program, we told you about the decision in Haven, Kansas, to remove the phrase, in God we trust, from their police cars. Well, last night, the city council met to reconsider their previously unanimous vote. And we've been following the story here, and I'm pleased to report that after a petition campaign spearheaded by FRC Action, 19,000 signatures were submitted in support of the reversal of this decision, and the council subsequently voted three to two to overturn that decision. Joining me now to discuss what happened is Pastor Chris Powell of the Haven Baptist Church there in Haven, Kansas. Chris, welcome back to the program. Hello, sir. Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to have you. Tell us what happened last night. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to attend in person, uh, but uh, I, I talked to a number of people who were there, and and more or less, I, I think what we all anticipated happened. Um, uh, people spoke up, and they got involved, uh, both from our community and beyond, and a number of people uh, showed up uh, in that meeting and spoke and gave their opinion, and uh, you know, I think the city council uh, heard that, and uh, as you just stated. Uh, three of them changed their mind on that position. Uh, on that position, and uh, and uh, we were able. I saw a police cruiser uh, cruising around Haven today, and that phrase is is already back on the on the vehicle. Well, we are glad to hear that. Tell me your perspective on what was it that led them to originally make the decision to take this off of the police vehicles? Because it seems like a small thing, but it's a significant thing to be sure. But then what led to their them changing their mind? What kind of input, what were the arguments being made that led three of the city council members to change their decision? Sure. Uh, you know, I think uh, in anything, um, certainly in a small town, um, not uh, – an exception to this that you know personal opinions can go a long way and uh, i think there are a couple people on the council who who had a different uh position and and uh, maybe approached it from we can avoid a lawsuit in the future if we if we keep this phrase off of there and uh didn't really think it would be an issue and and honestly from what i've heard the the three uh council uh people that changed their their position uh they were kind of maybe on the fence anyway um they just went along with uh, what what the other two had done, and I think when they when they realized that it was a big deal to the people of Haven and beyond that, 
um, that, uh, you know, they, they understood that uh, the way it should be, that uh, it was the will of the people here in Haven to have that phrase on the vehicles. And, um, you know, uh, uh, like we've discussed already, uh, uh, thankfully, you know, that happened in our community. And uh, I'm thankful for the leadership of our community, even those who disagreed, uh, who are willing to reconsider that opinion, who are willing to uh, uh, let the people have a say in that matter. And I want to talk about that for a moment because this is a local issue, but it's become something of a national story because it's symbolic. How would you describe the impact that this local issue has had on your community? Created fractions? Has it brought people together? What's the impact there? Well, I think it has um, brought people together. Um, I think it even maybe woke a few people up that, um, hey, this this phrase on a vehicle in many ways, like like you mentioned, is symbolic of uh, who we are as people. And uh, as a local pastor in my community, we even had a, a few additional new families uh, show up to church service or, or tell me, hey, we need to take that step in including God back in our life. Um, at the same time, of course, there are people who have a different opinion and it does create friction. Um, I'm thankful in our community that um, you know, we live together in a small town, so we see each other all the time, and I'm thankful that uh, we've been able to, to work through it and, and try to understand each other's position, um, because at the end of the day, you know, we understand as, as Christian people that, hey, we're not fighting a, a, a battle um, against flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual element to it, and that's why that phrase is so important to Christian people, because we understand uh, that, it, that it's bigger than just the person across from me is my enemy, uh, but there's a, there's a bigger spiritual battle taking place, and it's our job not only to fight politically, but to fight spiritually for, for the souls of people. And uh, I, I think our community is rallying around that idea that, that we can get to know and build relationships with people that are different than us, and that through that, we have an opportunity to do the most important thing, uh, which is share Christ with them and let them have uh, what we have in their lives. To that point, and, and I do want to get into that for a moment if I can, because you are a pastor, which means your primary uh, calling is not necessarily to influence the city council, though you're not opposed to that, but to be ambassadors for the gospel in, in the place where God has sent you. How would you say your, your, your activism, if I may, if that's the right word, or your involvement on this issue, your willingness to speak publicly about this, how do you think it's affected your overall ministry in that community? Yeah, um, I, I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who uh, honestly have, have done much more locally on this specific issue. Uh, but of course, people heard that I, I was on Was uh, Washington Watch, and, um, I, you know, I think they were excited by it. They were invigorated by it a little bit. And uh, I, several people told me, hey, thank you for speaking on our behalf, on behalf of our community and our values and what we stand for here. Uh, and that was one of my big concerns is, um, you know, what goes out, <laughs> we're not used to a national audience and what goes out reflects on our community. And of course, we want to be represented accurately, just like any person and uh, or, or any community. Um, but I, I think people are kind of waking up to this reality that that this can happen even in a place like this. It's not just exclusive to urban areas, uh, even in a place that's primarily Republican or uh, Christian, conservative, whatever phrases you want to use. It's still possible for those things to happen. And, and we can't sit on our hands in any arena. And we have to be, as the Bible tells us, proactive. And we need to be, be uh, on mission uh, for the gospel. And that's exactly right. And we thank you for being on mission there. And we do hope and we pray for you and your, your friends there in Haven, Kansas, that this will not be a moment of division, but that this will be a, a, a create an awareness of the fact that we have a, a role to play and that we can come together even around things that are difficult. If we do it in a spirit of humility and in a spirit of respect for each other, that we these can be growth opportunities that don't hinder the gospel, but in, in fact allow us to advance the gospel. Uh, Chris Powell, thank you so much for your time today and all you're doing for the gospel. So thank you so much for having me. Coming up next, speaking of local engagement, the best voter guide that you can find to help you distinguish the candidate's spin from the truth. We'll tell you about it when we come back here in Washington.
Most of us have at least one friend or family member who is pro-choice or have engaged with someone who doesn't share our pro-life views. As Christians, we are called to defend the weak and to speak truth in love. When we advocate for the unborn, we must do so in a way that is both honest and loving. At Family Research Council, we recognize the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. The value of human life is not conditional upon its usefulness to others or an arbitrary evaluation of a person's quality of life. Rather, the value of human life is unconditional because God, the author of life, has created all humans in his image. FRC's Center for Human Dignity exists to give a voice to the voiceless by helping others speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Access our free resources at frc.org life so that you can address abortion, human trafficking, pornography, and more. Attention university students, do you feel called to promote faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture? Are you hoping to grow in Christian leadership? Then join Family Research Council for an unforgettable internship. FRC's 12 to 15 week internship program is designed to educate university students who are passionate about public service and who believe that a biblical worldview is necessary for government to serve the people and for culture to thrive. As an intern, you work alongside FRC's experts who will invest in your personal and professional development as you prepare to make a kingdom impact in the world. This paid internship offers free housing in D.C., allowing you to experience community with other faithful conservatives in the nation's capital. For more information and to apply, visit frc.org internships. That's frc.org internships. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you're with us. Reminder, website is TonyPerkins.com. Today is primary election day in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Kentucky, Idaho, and Oregon. But do you ever find it difficult to distinguish between the candidates on your ballot, especially during a primary when so many share the same party designation and say they believe largely the same things? Well, joining me now to discuss a new resource available for staying up to date on everything you need to know heading into the midterms and every election is Debbie Wuthnow. She's the president of iVoterGuide. Debbie, great to have you on the show today. Great to be here. Well, it's good to see you. This is a great day to be talking about this. Uh, Several states are having their primary elections. What's your feeling? You work to educate voters year-round, which is something that most people aren't doing. A couple days of the year, most of us are thinking about elections. You're thinking about it constantly. What are you thinking about on primary day? I'm thinking I wish more Christians would turn out to vote in the primary. It's the biggest thing that I think about. Uh, The turnout in primaries is about 20% of registered voters, and that's abysmal. Um, And I think that most people that don't go to vote uh, do so because they lack information about the candidates. So that's why iVoterGuide exists. We are a Christian ministry. We are a division of AFA Action, and we exist for people who love Jesus and love America and want to vote wisely and be good stewards of our vote. But and by and we do that by giving information on the candidates. We research them, we evaluate them, and it's all available to you at iVoterGuide.com. Debbie, we've been working on this issue for a long time together, and I say with all sincerity, I believe iVoterGuide is the best voter guide resource I'm aware of because it surveys candidates, it looks at their voting record. Another critical piece of information it provides that are very that is very helpful is the donations that they receive and the endorsements that they receive. And the truth is, sometimes you can learn everything you need to know by looking at who has endorsed a particular candidate. If they have the right endorsements, it's very good. If they have the wrong endorsements, it's a really good sign that they do not deserve your support. And this is one of the few places, in fact, it's the only place that I'm aware of that has aggregated all that information 
into one place. But Debbie, you you made the point about people not voting because they don't have information. I think there's a lot of people who lament the apathy in the church. They hear the numbers that you referred to on in the primary, only 20% of evangelical Christians vote. Uh, it's better in general elections, but still lower than it should be. Do you think that's a function of apathy, or is it more the fact that people don't have the information that they need to feel like they can make an informed choice? I think it's a combination. And I think the 20% is in the church and out of the church. It's just Americans that don't participate in, in elections and, um, and, and lack of information, uh, not wanting to be involved in saying politics is dirty or there's no good guy. Well, I will tell you if that when it comes to November and there's no good guy on your ballot, the real choice you have is most likely in the primary because that's in, uh, in, in 80 to 90% of districts, especially more true after redistricting. Um, the true choice happens in the primary because the legislative districts, both for Congress and for your state legislature, are drawn to strongly favor one party over the other. So you're choosing between people with a D or people with an R. And that's where the information is, is more lacking and where it's more needed, honestly. And that's why iVoterGuide exists. So we do cover the Republican primary in um, all 50 states, even the five that are on the ballot today and the rest of them throughout the year, covering federal candidates in all 50 states and statewide and state legislative candidates. And I will tell you, Joseph, I think campaign finance data is one of the most important um, pieces of data because what somebody does with their money, who they give money to or who they choose to receive money from tells a lot about, well, about what is important. And iVoterGuide's unique evaluation of candidates is really what uh, I, as an average voter, find helpful in identifying the political philosophy and potentially even the worldview of the candidates that are on the ballot, because all of that factors into how we rate those candidates. Yeah. Now, Debbie, you guys do a candidate survey as well that you send and, and then report the responses. I'm actually of the opinion that it's becoming easier uh, to distinguish candidates' worldview. And uh, I, I know that this is not currently on your survey, but maybe in the future, you might you might consider the question that I, I think at this point, uh, cuts down the middle very easily to, to determine the good guys from the bad guys. If we just ask, can men get pregnant? Uh, the answer to that question tells us to about 95% to certainty what, what a candidate uh, thinks about almost everything. So at the risk of oversimplifying this process, and I know it's not actually that simple, uh, but maybe consideration for future issues. But Debbie, uh, to the to the current climate that we're dealing with, what issue, in your judgment, is motivating the voters most this year? Well, there have been some polls out there that uh, the economy and inflation and the border are all very high on voters' minds as they look at the changes that have happened in America in the past couple of years. Um, so uh, immigration and border security. I think the life issue, um, the left has gone pretty far left on the life issue. And with the, you know, the Dobbs uh, ruling hopefully coming out, uh, it's going to be really important that you know where your state legislator stands because all of that's going to move to the state. It's going to be important you know where your governor stands. Um, we're, uh, so there's a lot of issues that are um, on the minds of voters, and we try to cover as many of those as possible on our survey as well as on our uh, scorecard. And you do a terrific job of it. Again, it's iVoterGuide. You can find it at iVoterGuide.com. It's also a partner of FRC Action, and you can find it through frcaction.org. Click on Voter Resources. Debbie Wethnow, thanks so much for all your efforts on behalf of all of us. Thanks, Joseph. Coming up next, a counselor in Washington state is suing because the state is trying to prevent him from having some conversations with his clients. We'll tell you more about it when we come back here on Washington Watch. Religious liberty is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's own choosing and to live in accordance with those beliefs. It is an inherent human right. Therefore, Family Research Council's Center for Religious Liberty strives to advance religious liberty for all people of all faiths. Advocates for strong religious liberty protections are often labeled bigots, but for those familiar with the history of religious liberty in the United States, until recently it was embraced by a majority of Americans. In fact, 
religious liberty has historically had bipartisan support. Today, efforts to restrict this freedom have become increasingly common. Therefore, Christians need to articulate with greater clarity why we support religious liberty and why all people are served when religious liberty thrives. Access the Center for Religious Liberty's free resources to learn more at frc.org slash religious liberty. In today's culture, there are few examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need a model of leadership, strength, courage, and sacrificial love that they can look to. But where can they find it? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong, biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have the generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. At Family Research Council, we want to be able to keep you informed on our latest resources and events. Due to the growing threat of tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've created a tech subscription platform so that we can stay connected. So if we get canceled, you can continue to receive updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. The conversations a therapist and their patient share are among the most private conversations someone can have. But many states have passed legislation to ban these conversations under the guise of stopping so-called conversion therapy. Well, one counselor in Washington state was in court today arguing that these legal restrictions on private conversations are illegal. Here's part of what they had to say. The only questions this law cares about are two. Who are you? Are you licensed? And what goal is this conversation headed towards? And that, Your Honor, is not identifying a particular treatment. That's prohibiting a particular conversation directed towards a particular goal. That is censorship of disfavored ideas. It is censorship of speech. Joining me to discuss this Washington state law and the federal court hearing on it today is Jake Warner with the Alliance Defending Freedom, who is representing the counselor in this case. Jake, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me on the show. We are glad to have you. Now, tell us a bit about your client, Brian Tingley, and and this law that essentially bans him from carrying out his duties as a therapist. Brian's a remarkable man. He's been a counselor for over 20 years. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist in particular, and he helps children, adults, and and couples with a range of issues, including dealing with anxiety and depression, but also with struggles related to sexual orientation and gender identity. And that's where the Washington law comes into play. It says that uh, counselors should not have certain conversations on these topics with their clients, even when the clients want to have these conversations. It really interferes with the client getting the help that they need and that they want. And and that's what the problem here, and and the law threatens, Brian, with penalties up to $5,000 per violation. 
Now, everyone is opposed to coercion and abuse by a therapist. And unfortunately, coercion and abuse are already covered by professional misconduct rules, in some cases, criminal laws in the state of Washington and around the country. What is the motive? Why does the state of Washington want to come in and say, you therapist or actually you client are not allowed to have these conversations with your therapist. You're not allowed to have this therapeutic goal because we don't think it's good for you. What business is that of the state of Washington? Well, the law is really targeting disfavored ideas. The state has one view about what clients should want for their lives. But, uh, you know, what we believe is that the government has no business dictating what conversations a counselor can have with his or her client. The client should set the agenda for these conversations. The client should set the goals for what they want to achieve. And many of Brian's clients come from a faith background, and they want to live consistently with their faith. That's their, their root identity. And what this law says is that uh, those clients can't have the conversations that they want to have with counselors like Brian. Are there other examples, Jake Warner, with the Alliance Defending Freedom, of, the of a government telling a therapist you're not allowed to discuss this particular subject or this particular therapeutic outcome with your clients? We've actually seen similar laws pop up around the country. Um, one most recently uh, comes from Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, a local ordinance was challenged there. It looked very similar to the law that Brian is challenging in Washington. And the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the First Amendment protects these private conversations between a counselor and his or her client. The government has no business telling clients that they can't get the help that they want and that they can't have the conversations that they want to have with their counselor. And uh, additionally, ADF has represented a counselor in New York City. And uh, when ADF filed a lawsuit a couple of years ago challenging a similar law there, the, the city actually backtracked and had to pay uh, ADF's client uh, $100,000 in attorney's fees. So unfortunately, these laws are becoming more popular. But the good news is that courts are recognizing how these laws negatively, um, uh, how these laws uh, really violate the First Amendment. And Jake, I want to put a finer point on my last question, which I don't think I worded as well as I would have liked. Besides sexual orientation, gender identity, and this uh, so-called conversion therapy realm, is there any other subject, any other therapeutic outcome that a client could request? I want to stop smoking. I want to lose weight. I want to deal with my anger. Any other example of where the state legislature or a government of any level has come in and said, therapist, counselor, you may not help your clients achieve that outcome, or is this unique? This is pretty unique. What you're talking about here is just simple conversations between a counselor and his or her client. These are private conversations. Uh, and like you said at the beginning of this segment, these are some of the most protected conversations we have in America. They are privileged conversations when you're talking about um, a courtroom setting. Uh, so it's really um, a very unique thing that the law would target this kind of uh, private conversation between a counselor and his or her client. And certainly this particular law targets and disfavors a certain view that the government simply doesn't like. So, Jake, what were the legal arguments made to the court today? What's the legal basis of the challenge? Well, it's a First Amendment challenge. Uh, what ADF argued in court today is that the First Amendment forbids the government from dictating the private conversations between a counselor and his or her client. You see, people like Brian, that what they do is they sit in a room, they listen, they engage in conversation. They're not doing anything more than, than talking and having a conversation with people who want to talk through uh, problems in their life. And uh, what we told the court is that there's no basis, there's no constitutional basis for the government to um, interfere with these kinds of conversations. And we asked the court to uh, strike down this application of the law on First Amendment grounds, just like the 11th Circuit did in Florida not too long ago. Jake, it seems to me that at the heart of this issue is you have politicians who don't understand 
why someone who might experience gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction wouldn't want to embrace that. Because the worldview of the politicians is you should love that, that you should claim that identity, you should celebrate that. And they can't bring themselves to understand why somebody might feel that way, but not be at peace with that and want to feel differently. And because they don't understand why someone might want to live a different way, they've stepped in in these cases and said, Therefore, you may not live that way. You may not try to be that person. We are going to, to put it in their vernacular, we're going to deny you the opportunity to live your truth if your example, your version of living your truth is inconsistent with my version of living my truth. So there does seem to be some hypocrisy here. But Jake, last question I have for you. Uh, are you optimistic about the outcome of this? What is the court going to do? We're very hopeful that the Ninth Circuit is going to get this decision right. Um, like I said, the Supreme Court recently uh, weighed in on a case that said that uh, counselors uh, like Brian, uh, they are deserving of First Amendment protection just like everyone else. And what we've seen is that as these laws have popped up around the country, more and more courts are getting the issue right and saying that the First Amendment protects these private conversations and ensures that clients can get the help that they need and that they deserve from their counselor. So we're very hopeful that the Ninth Circuit's going to get this uh, right. We won't know probably for a few weeks or even a few months from now, though. We are also helpful, but uh, Jake Warner, on behalf of us and all Americans, we are so grateful to you and the great people at the Alliance Defending Freedom for all you do every day to protect freedom and all of us and our religious freedom. And so grateful for your organization and so grateful for your time today as well. God bless you all. Thanks so much for having me on the show today. Next. Related subject on the issue of conversion therapy, of gender identity, of, of gender dysphoria, a new national survey on transgenderism has a couple of interesting findings. Now, most people still think there are real differences between men and women, but a lot of people are afraid to say so. And a poll by Summit Ministries found that nearly two-thirds of Americans believe transgenderism is unhealthy, isn't healthy, but one-third say they keep that view to themselves. What does all of this tell us? Well, Pastor Lucas Miles is a faculty member at Summit Ministries who conducted this survey, and he joins us now on Washington Watch to tell us about it. Lucas, good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming. What surprised you, if anything, about these poll results? I mean, honestly, I'm I'm really pleased to see how these results, um, you know, showed up. Uh, I, this is what I was hoping for, you know, I, that I think what this shows, and you know, piggybacking on the last segment, is that the great majority of Americans um, don't think that transgenderism is a healthy lifestyle. In fact, you know, two thirds, you know, of of those polled uh, held that view that transgenderism is not a healthy lifestyle. Uh, and, and that 90% were opposed to gender uh, uh, alteration surgeries and procedures for minors. And so, you know, what we have in this country right now is we have some radicalized courts and we have some radicalized advertisers that are trying to, I think, uh, you know, convince Americans otherwise. But it, what it appears from this poll and our research is that uh, the worldview of the average American voter is that uh, uh, more in line with the traditional family value. And I think that's very uh, optimistic when we look at this country. I would agree with you in a sense. And in part of your poll, I'll highlight another question here. 93% of Americans believe it's possible to distinguish between men and women. Now, are we to be encouraged by the 93% or very concerned about the 7% who believe you can't tell the difference between men and women? Look, I would like to see the 7% number at one or 2% or less. Um, it is concerning that the 7%, that seems rather high, you know, for a very basic truth of what is a man or what is a woman. And so I think this is certainly, you know, a place where, uh, you know, uh, organizations that are, are fighting for freedom and fighting for uh, religious liberty and the church and all of these things have, have a lot of work, you know, to do uh, to still, um, I, I think, see transformation in culture. But uh, overall, I think we have to celebrate the 93% that's there. I would agree with you, but uh, this issue is unique. And, and I think it's possible that in my lifetime, I've never seen a more fierce 
more intense marketing campaign from so many different levels. We're talking the federal government, we're talking state governments, we're talking municipalities and counties in many cases, we're talking big business, we're talking corporate advertising, celebrating the idea that men can be women and women can be men if they want to. Do you think the numbers that your poll showed illustrates the resiliency of the American public? Or if we had taken this poll five years ago, would it show that this marketing campaign is working? I think there is an element that we are seeing the marketing campaign of progressive thinkers in America working in that they are slowly sort of, you know, chipping away at this, you know, Judeo-Christian worldview that I think America was established upon. Um, you know, I was watching TV the other night with my wife, and we rarely watch anything that's live television. So we're not, you know, we don't have a bunch of commercials all the time that we're seeing. But this particular night, we were watching live TV. And every single commercial, it just seemed like it was either pushing transgenderism or CRT or some other leftist concept. And, you know, there is a really strong, very real push. This isn't conspiracy theory. This is really happening. And I think advertisers are on board and certainly the ad firms that are pushing them in this direction, you know, with the decisions that they're making and the casting decisions that they're making, et cetera. And, and I think that their efforts are showing traction. And I think this is, uh, this is you know, should be a wake-up call, you know, for Americans that still love this country and still love the truth to, to recognize that uh, the truth is under attack. Now, Lucas, one of the other things that your survey found was that though the supermajority of Americans still believe that men are men and women are women, and that's just the way it is, a third reported an unwillingness to say so publicly. What do you take from that? You know, unfortunately, I think we're still seeing people that um, either fail to recognize how serious this issue is or, you know, for fear of uh, persecution or, um, you know, getting canceled or whatever we want to call that today, uh, they're choosing to remain silent. And unfortunately, you know, as a pastor, I see a lot of pastors that aren't willing to, you know, step into the fray on these issues. And I, I just, you know, I am urging, you know, my fellow clergy and, and, and fellow leaders out there that we have to talk about these things. This isn't about being partisan. This is about standing upon truth. And, and I think that, you know, if you look back, I mean, 20 years ago, the left and the right, you know, by and large could have agreed upon a lot of these issues that we're seeing conflict over today. This isn't really a political issue as much as it's a worldview issue and in some degree a religious issue because what, what we're seeing on the left is a uh, they have they are beginning to worship the state. That's the nature of Marxism. And I think that it is very important that those who have remained silent in the past recognize their voice is needed. There's a way to do that tactfully, to walk in grace and truth in this, uh, but we have to speak up. Lucas, one more question. We've got about a minute left. What's your encouragement to parents who are dealing with children growing up in this morass of confusion? Well, I, I, from my vantage point, I think a lot of parents have been the champion in the last you know, year or two. Uh, they fought against COVID rules. They fought against school boards and you know, some of these other issues and libraries and everything else. And I think in, in, in areas where the church and others should have you know, came to their aid, you know, parents were the first ones to the front lines. And, and I would just encourage them to continue the fight. Find a good church. Continue to build you know, faith in your children. Encourage them. Stand strong and don't give in for one second. That's great advice, and I would also add to that, uh, send your kids to Summit Ministries. It's a great ministry, helps form kids, provides a community for them. Back in the day, I was a camper at Summit Ministries for a couple weeks of my life in Colorado Springs and greatly benefited from it, and I would commend other parents and young people to do so as well. Lucas Miles, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me. I was speaking at three camps this summer. Looking forward to seeing them there. Looking forward to being there. Friends, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for being with us. We hope you've been blessed. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Until then, fear God and nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's one 866 
372-7234. 